I heard a few weeks ago, I said, you know, we just take hallelujah and amen, which are universal uh, terms, and I, I left out one, and that's Hosanna. We never translate it. To, it it's just the, from, it, it's essentially, it's a Hebrew word. And this is the day that we don't say Hosanna, we shout Hosanna, and who is it? Who is it who really wants to shout Hosanna? And, and I'm going to support this shout business, too. As far as the word Hosanna is concerned, as far as its root, it, it's, a, it's a cry to save us. That's what the original meaning of the word is. However, not only does that meaning stay with it, but it's, it's a shout of supplication and adoration combined. And uh, if you wanted to make it a part of speech, oh, that's pretty hard. Because I checked a half dozen dictionaries, some want to call it an interjection. Like, help! Which is an interjection. And it's just, it's something that you just burst forth with. Who does this? And, and that's really important to figure out who it is that can shout Hosanna. Before I get to that, I want you to understand that it's not just children. If I were going to put this in one sentence, I would say the innocent and those who understand oppression are the ones who shout Hosanna. Try that again, because that's where I'm going. The innocent and those who understand oppression shout Hosanna. Save us! And you're able to, so we glorify you. All right. Now, so you understand, it's not just children. I love the thing with the children. It's just wonderful. And, by the way, Jesus was very loose with the word children. He called children, children. Do you know whom else he called children? The twelve. He called them children. Uh, in a Hebrew culture, the, the word children is pretty broad. And hopefully, it's an honor to be called a child because it tends to assume you are innocent. Okay, so the innocent and the uh, those who understand oppression are those who can shout Hosanna. Just so you know that it's, it's used by a very broad range of people. Every single divine liturgy, we join, here we go, and we give thanks unto thee also for this ministry which thou hast accepted our, at our hands, even though there stand beside thee thousands of archangels and ten thousands of angels, the cherubim and the seraphim, six-winged, many-eyed, soaring aloft, born on their wings, singing the triumphal hymn. Holy, 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 Lord of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have Palm Sunday every Sunday. We have Palm Sunday every divine liturgy. Who shouts Hosanna? Who sings and shouts, singing, proclaiming, shouting. See? Who shouts? The cherubim and the seraphim shout. The angels shout. The angels, the archangels, they shout. I love this. Hosanna is not a word you say, Hosanna in the highest. 
It's just inappropriate. It's not Hosanna. It's Hosanna in the highest. A deliverer has come. Why do the angels say it? Why do they? They're, because they understand what oppression is. They understand. They see what is happening. And when the king comes, because it takes a king to deliver, when the king comes, they also can shout Hosanna. But they don't say to each other, oh, my goodness, Hosanna. <laughs> they shout Hosanna. Wonderful expression. Well, my grandson Timmy is learning about uh, alliteration. And so, briefly, I'm going to put this little homily with an alliteration. Because to express how this happens, that the innocent and those who understand oppression shout Hosanna, we get to this. Number one, a promise believed. Number two, a fulfillment perceived. And number three, a king received. Okay, a promise believed. It's been about five year, 500 years since anything important has happened. No prophet. 500 years of silence from heaven. Well, there have been holy people. But there has been, for the most part, for that entire 500 years, there, the Jews have been under oppression. And no prophet. And no hope. We have no concept of what it is to live under political oppression. Most of us don't. Some of you here do. That's why you're here. Because you came from countries where there was political and still is political oppression. The Jews had been under oppression, the heel of Rome, but before Rome it was others. They've been oppressed, taxed. Why do Mary and Joseph go to... Bethlehem, to pay taxes. They've been oppressed. They understand oppression. The Jews understood it. They had five, really, they had a lot over 500 years of oppression. When you put together all the years the Jews were under oppression, it's astonishing. I'm at this besides the Babylonian captivity. They understood oppression, and they want to be delivered. What was the disciples' first question when they get together with the Lord to discuss theology after the resurrection. Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The first question. They wanted to be delivered from oppression. Now, it's not only political oppression. It's spiritual oppression. I have been just overwhelmed in the last several weeks and a month or two with the prayer of the archangel, Michael, or the archangels, uh, deliver us from oppression, since you are the princes of the ranks of the dominions on high. That prayer is prayed every single, every, before every divine liturgy, it gets prayed before the archangels. Deliver us from oppression. I understand spiritual oppression. I just don't understand myself. And then half the time, I don't even understand you. <laughs> what do we do? The things that we do. Why do I get my tail just whipped over and over again? 
I understand your confessions when I hear them because I understand mine. Do you know what I confess every time I confess? The same old stuff, for the most part. The same stuff. Why do I keep getting angry? Because I'm oppressed. It's a war. I heard it. I just briefly, I was listening to television a few minutes last night, and I just flicked onto a channel. Uh, and the, the statement, I agreed with the statement that the preacher said the Christian life is, is not so much a joy as it is a battle. If you don't understand spiritual oppression, you will never with your heart shout, Hosanna! Because you're never going to overcome spiritual oppression without a deliverer. You're going to have to have somebody come and save you. You're going to have to have the king. So, here are these people. Who, on Palm Sunday, who was it who, were, who, who was there to greet the Lord and to bring him in in this triumphal entry? It was those who believed in a promise. That promise had been given uh, many, many biblical scholars and the fathers of the church and so on believe the promise starts in the third chapter of Genesis. And the people of God had been looking forward to the coming of a Messiah for centuries. They knew exactly who they were looking for. Even the Jewish scholars knew it. The scribes knew it. The Pharisees knew it. The Sadducees knew it. The priests knew it. The chief priests knew it. Everybody knew they were looking for a Messiah. Because they knew they needed a deliverer. They knew no one else could do it. And they'd been looking for it. So on Palm Sunday, who's there to welcome the Lord? It's those who had a promise, believed, and they believed that day. Now hang on to this, this is critical. They believed that this was the coming of the promised Messiah. The real coming of the promised Messiah. And it was. Palm Sunday was not a failure. It wasn't a dress rehearsal. Today, in America particularly, not so much in most foreign countries, but in America, millions and millions of sincere Christians believe that Palm Sunday was a failure. That the kingdom of God was offered and that the Jews rejected it. And hence, it didn't work. And Jesus didn't really enter as king it will some later date, some millennium away, and it will come then. No, no, Palm Sunday was the real thing. It is the real thing. We don't sing about it except as today. It's today where the king enters. And those who understood it were the innocent. That's why so much about the children. And those who understand oppression who needed a liberer. Now, who knew the promise? And believed it. Many people did. Scribes, Pharisees. But, for, but if you don't understand oppression, or if you are going to see yourself as you are going to be the deliverer, either of yourself or of others, 
you're going to have a very different perception of Palm Sunday. You know, this is, this is just incredible. Can you see this picture? I, I, I'm looking at it in my mind. I can describe it to you in rather minute detail. I've never been to Jerusalem, and I know exactly what this looks like. Here they are. The palm branches are going down, and here's Jesus on the, on the donkey. <coughs> Here he's coming in, and everybody's shouting. And what are the scholars, those are the scribes, what are the Pharisees, and what are the clergy doing? Here is the entrance of the long-promised Messiah. The entrance, the real thing, the long-promised Messiah. And the children are singing, and the innocent are singing, and the people are shouting. And what are the leaders doing? Plotting the death of two people. Plotting the murder of two people. Who's doing this? The clergy. The scribes. They're plotting to murder Lazarus. And they're plotting to murder Jesus. What a contrast. Can you imagine it? <coughs> they are so upset. All this shouting, all this shouting, all these children, all these innocent, all these vulgar people. <coughs> we we got to stop this. They're, Jesus isn't the solution. Who is the who's the solution? We are the solution. We don't need this Jesus. And we got to get rid of this Lazarus because he bespeaks well of Jesus. Because it appears like he was probably dead. And he's probably not dead anymore. we got to get rid of him. Squelch the evidence. How do we squelch the evidence? Well, he died once. We might as well die him again. Now that's where my second point is. The promise perceived. You see, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, was perceived differently. The innocent and those who understood oppression understood it as the triumphal entry of the long-promised king. But those who didn't perceive it as that we're just sitting passively saying, oh my goodness, isn't this interesting? They're plotting to stop it if they can. It's not just belief, it's also the perception in your eyes. But then third, for the innocent and those who understand oppression, what happened that day and what's happening today because that day is this day, because through the mystery of liturgy and sacrament, we are every bit as much presence, every single bit as much presence to receive the king, a king received every bit as much as able as any one of those people, Peter, James, John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, all the apostles, anyone else, we're every bit as much really there through this mystery of liturgy and sacrament. So today, today, 
I believe most of you, at least, maybe all of you, you have a promise that you believe. You have a fulfillment that you are perceiving. And today you want to make sure that there's a king whom you are receiving. Now, in, I think it was in, it was in the praises this morning in Matins. It isn't just Palm Sunday, because they sang, Blessed is he who comes and is coming in the name of the Lord. I want to tell you, at 80, I'm really <coughs> bored with this world. I am, I'm just bored with it. I tire of the news. It's all the same. It's been the same news since I was a little kid. Stuff's going wrong. People are getting killed. People are getting hurt. Bombs go off. Explosions, wars, rumors of wars, all of this stuff. I'm bored with it. I really. And I, I lament every day over how I struggle with oppression. I want to tell you how it is that I live each day without being bitter. Because I know that the king is coming again. You need to have that in your focus today. Not just the triumphal entry into Jerusalem because the king is coming, but because he's coming again. <clears throat> I can live through anything as long as I know that the king is coming again. I have a promise to look forward to it's hard to live without a promise. If there's no promise, this is it. <laughs> a number of years ago, I don't know, late 70s, early 80s, I don't know, whenever Father Lazarus came to believe, he and Father Richard and I, we would sit down two or three days a week, and we were working on, we were going to translate the, the Gospels. And we would sit down two or three days a week, and Father Lazarus, of course, if you didn't know this, he was very, very good in Greek, and particularly in patristic Greek. He was very good in biblical Greek. And as you know, Father Richard was exceptional there, and Father John is mediocre there. Now, we would sit down, but I, I'll never forget, I don't know how many times we went after it, and sometimes we'd argue, we'd fuss. Father Lazarus wouldn't budge on the translation is blessed is he the coming one. He said that's how it must be translated. And it is, by the way, in a number of translation, translations. Blessed is he the coming one. He's come and he's still coming and he will come. And that's why that's why we can celebrate this Palm Sunday. Not over an historical event. I majored in history, but I'm kind of bored with history. I'm more interested in the present and in the future. The coming one, the coming one. And so today, when we make our procession, we can shout, Hosanna. By the way, if you're going to say anything, don't say Hosanna. 
Don't, don't. Don't say anything if you're going to say, Hosanna. If you're going to say anything, Hosanna. Hosanna. By the way, the angels and the archangels, the cherubim, the seraphim, six women, many eyes, soaring aloft, born in the wings, they understand our oppression. That's why we can say to the archangel Michael and the archangel Gabriel, deliver us from oppression. They understand it. They have compassion for us. And so today, the word is, the word for today is because of a promise believed, a fulfillment perceived, and a king received, the word for today is... Hosanna. Hosanna.